Fall Line by Michael Garron, Episode 24, Y2K in Madagascar. At the turn of the millennium, our time in Madagascar was drawing to a close. The millennium came loaded with fears of societal collapse denoted by the shorthand Y2K. There was a growing consensus that crossing the millennium would cause widespread computer clock failures. Y2Kers believe that 1900 was hard-coded into critical computer programs. This suggested that 1999 was coded only as 99 because the code assumed the 1900. If that were the case, then 99 plus 1 would revert critical systems back to 1900 rather than jumping ahead to 2000. The doomsday scenarios included airplanes falling from the sky and banking systems crumbling. In December 1999, the Nairobi and Tanzania embassy bombings were still recent memory. Now the scythe-clutching, hood-shrouded specter of Y2K was just ahead. Out of an abundance of caution, the embassy required that we all shelter in place over the New Year's. So we were to remain in the capital, Antananarivo, as the clock struck 2000. That put an end to our previously scheduled travel plans. The USAID director graciously offered to host a New Year's Eve at her home as consolation. By 9 p.m. December 31, 1999, a large number of us showed up at her gate. There was also a massive showing of locally engaged staff, or LES. Each LES received a short-fused bottle rocket as they passed the main gate. I got a foot-long sparkler instead. I'd prefer one of those, I said, snatching a bottle rocket from one of the guards. When he offered token resistance, I said, Geez, what's the problem? Not going to blow the place up. He reluctantly agreed. We sipped champagne under the billowing folds of parachute tents scattered about the yard. As Y2K approached, the lawn filled with dazzling, luminous trails of sparklers set alight. The first of the LESs sent his bottle rockets streaming into the night sky. I grabbed an empty bottle and a full box of matches from a nearby table. As I set my match to the fuse, the person next to me's eyes grew wide. You're under the tent, he said, jabbing his finger into the air. I glanced around in alarm and noted a large, darkened garage area behind me. I aimed the rocket on a horizontal trajectory and let it fly. The rocket streaked off towards the open garage and exploded inside with a loud bang. An instant later, five black-clad commandos charged out of the garage. Certain they were taking fire, they waved their machine guns at the crowd, seeking potential targets. It was an accident, I shouted, waving madly to get their attention. I did it. It was me. I shot my bottle rocket in there. It was me. I did it by mistake. For a moment, they continued to scan, ready to shoot. Then the one in charge lowered his weapon and told the others to stand down. Jesus Christ, he said, approaching me in disbelief. That was a hair's breadth from bloodshed. I nodded and welcomed in the new century. During the same period, I had an off-island job with USAID. It got me around Africa, particularly to Namibia down in the south. In the time I was there, I managed to get to a little game park twice, and twice had amazing experiences. The first time, I was in the swimming pool after a long day of baiting cheetahs. The bait was game meat strapped to the hood of an open vehicle. The cheetahs would chase the jeep and jump onto the hood. When I got back to the hotel pool, two more cheetahs got into the enclosed pool area and began to meander around. I had heard the cheetahs were not known to attack adult humans, so I was enjoying their proximity until a couple came in the pool area with two small children. 
The cheetahs immediately sensed the meal and began to stalk the family. They stalked by slowly circling, waiting for an opportunity to grab a kid. The couple started to freak out and asked aloud what they should do. I said if I were you, I'd get into the pool until someone gets those animals out of here. It wasn't so much that I didn't think cheetahs could swim, I had no idea about that. But I was fairly certain that these two particular cheetahs couldn't, because both of them were missing their hind legs. They had their bellies strapped to makeshift carts that rolled on rubber wheels. I was pretty sure that even the cheetahs had figured out their trolleys wouldn't float. The second thing that happened to me there also involved animal attack. Only that time there was an actual victim. Me. Where cheetahs are not known for attacking humans, leopards certainly are. They are, in fact, the most ferocious of all the big cats. So there I was, minding my own business, walking through a line of buildings at this farm. I heard this tremendous bone-rattling roar and felt a pair of jaws clamp onto my lower leg. I screamed in pain and writhed on the ground, trying to pry the leopard off. Never mind that the cub was probably no more than six weeks old. It was still seriously hard to budge. I enjoyed telling the story and watching the awe or disbelief grow in my audience's eyes. Then seeing it turn to disdain as I delivered the line, it was a little baby cat. That is, I was enjoying it until I mentioned it at a dinner party we were having once I'd returned to Madagascar. I told the story to those assembled, including a guest who was the embassy nurse. Did you get rabies shot, she'd asked. No, I said, that never crossed my mind. Well, then I'll see you in my office tomorrow morning and we can begin the treatment course. That sort of took the fun out of telling that particular tale, at least for a little while.